We are going to pick up in a passage we've already read, but I need to do it for the sake of context. It'll allow you to see in greater detail the passage we're going to study this morning. So we're going to pick up what we studied last week, and that's at verse 27 of Luke chapter 5. It says, after these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. And we know Matthew's account is God saw a man named Levi. He never said tax collector or wayward Jew, right? Remember that? Four of you do. I should. (laughs) After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave Jesus a great feast. And that includes wine, by the way. It's a feast. And he did it in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. He invited the dredges. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you out on Park Boulevard with all these people that are not like you? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance." Then they said to him, asking him another question, they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? Why are yours partying when ours are lamenting? Jesus said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. And by the way, in the Greek, that is forcefully taken away. That's what's emphasized in the Greek Context. He will be forcefully taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them. And again, a parable is parallel lines alongside. Jesus takes an earthly illustration with a heavenly truth and he creates what is called a parable. He uses an earthly story to give a, a heavenly truth. And so the scripture says he spoke a parable to them. He says, no one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Old wine is good. I'm thinking the 11 o'clock service would know that. (laughs) We have a lot to learn today. Let's ask God for his blessing. Lord, thank you for your word. Cause us to come alive to it. Lord, stretch us. Bless us, equip us, that we would serve you. I thank you for this new work you're doing, that we're new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit, not a temple built with human hands. You dwell in us and through us. And so, God, thank you. Speak to us now, we pray, and we receive all that you'd have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. In this context, as we began in verse 27, Levi, Matthew, gift of God, a man called Levi, Not a tax collector in the eyes of the Lord, but a man. Not a wayward Jew in the eyes of the Lord. Not a wayward Jew in the eyes of the Lord, but a gift from God. Whose life is so deeply touched that even Luke and Mark would say that he left everything, but Matthew himself would never ascribe to that. 
So moved is he by the Lord seeing him not as a tax collector or a wayward Jew, but seeing him as a new creature in Christ, the old having passed, the new having come. So touched by this new life, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. He wants everyone in his sphere of influence to be moved. So he hosts a party and he invites everyone that was just like him. And in come the tax collectors and in come the sinners. And the word sinner is one we don't like to be associated with, but it just means someone who misses the mark, someone who hasn't walked with the Lord, someone whose precepts of God, this moral knowledge is not infused. And one of the things that I said to this council of leaders is I said, What's missing in our culture today that causes us to be absent of civility is this idea of moral knowledge. Could you imagine how well government would operate if we didn't lie, if we didn't steal, if we didn't covet? And I said, this needs to be infused. As civic leaders and those who are in government, you have a first party, second party, third party purchase. I walked them through it. You've heard it before. But the bottom line is, Every purchase the government makes is a third-party purchase, so there'll be waste, graft, and corruption. If you want to serve, and that's why they call you a public servant, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. If you want to serve, treat every purchase as though it was your own, with your own money. And it'll be a wonder how government will operate. It'll be a wonder how your businesses operate if this is your mindset, that you have come to not be served but to serve and, and not count yourself as rights or not being a slave of righteousness. It'll revolutionize the culture. I said, you're the leaders. You can set this example, create a culture of excellence. They were moved by it. I could tell. Not because they were my words, but because I had been moved by what the Lord had shown me, and I pray it did the same for them. And these are folks that are willing to step into that fray and to participate. And in doing so, in this idea of the absence of moral knowledge, I, I think about what I'd shared before, that this great miracle of all of these slaves, three to five million of them exiting out of Egypt, Crossing through the Red Sea, the Pharaoh's army drowning in the Red Sea, they end up in the Sinai Peninsula wandering in the wilderness of a desolate desert. No water, no food. And for 40 years they wander. And every day 40,000 tons of food arrive to feed 3 to 5 million Jews manna on the ground. When they want meat, God would blow quail out of uh, their, their flight pattern and they would eat quail to the point where it would be coming out of their noses. They were so full. Water would come out of rocks where there was no water. Their clothes wouldn't wear out. Their shoes wouldn't wear out. Miraculous. But none of that is as miraculous as this one idea to me that, is, that, that causes the rest to pale in comparison. That three to five million people operated for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. And they did so because when Moses received the Ten Commandments, basically it was a downloaded app a download of moral, a downloaded moral app that was given to three to five million people. Five of the commandments were your relationship with God. Five of your commandments were relationship with each other. And they dwelt together realizing they're accountable to a creator and accountable to each other. And they understood you don't lie. You don't steal. You don't covet. Revolutionary. Representative form of government Personal accountability, accountable to God, accountable to each other, dwelling together in unity. The law, this moral constraint, this moral knowledge infused into a culture that would transform them, they would dwell together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. Miraculous. Oh, that we'd have that today. Amen. And in the course of this, you think the law, 
the law. You fast forward with this miracle and you come to this place where Jesus now steps onto the earth in the form of a baby and we've watched him through the book of Luke grow and here he is in his public ministry. And, and as he comes into contact with these Pharisees, the keepers of the law, he blows their mind with the healing of the leper and the sacrifice that had never been done before. One flies or one dies and the other flies of the two doves. Remember that. This leper being healed so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they gather and they pack this, this synagogue out. So full, fifty to 70,000 people gathering in, Pharisees from every town, over 250 in the region, that they couldn't get their friend through the roof and they lower the paralytic through. He heals them, but he forgives the sin. They say only God can forgive sin. They're face to face with the Messiah. And Levi is watching this, this wayward Jew that was once to be in the temple order. He's so disgusted with the way the sausage is made in this, this, strict, this strict structure of, of, of laws and, and legal ramifications that they say with their mouth but don't follow with their heart. And he's burdened by it. And all of a sudden this fresh blessing comes in in the form of a Messiah who heals and touches. And he's happy he doesn't walk around as though Christianity were a, a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black robe and a hood on a tightrope, wondering if you're going to mess up with a sour look on his face. He comes in joy. He smiles. He touches the leper. He hugs. He heals. He blesses. And then, to make it even more intense, Matthew, gift of God, a man so touched decides to throw a party so that the rest of the world that he associates with that has nothing to do with the legal temple brings them in to meet this God of mercy, this God of grace. Wine is flowing, food is everywhere. They're happy. They're happy and they're touched and they're blessed. And while this is all taking place, they look and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the Lord, in the midst of all of them, says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The only healthy people who go to a hospital are doctors. The rest are for the sick. The doctors go there to heal the sick. You step into a world that's hurting. A missionary goes where he's not loved but needed and leaves when he's no longer needed but loved. And you have your life stretched because you hang around and listen to people that you wouldn't normally associate with. You hear ideology that offends you, but can you offend a dead man? No. You have two ears and one mouth. Do more listening than you do talking. And as you dwell in the midst of these folks, you start to see something happen to your heart. You start to love them. You have precepts that you stand upon. You have, you have this downloaded moral app. You're a new creature in Christ. You, you are no longer this temple made with human hands. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're in the midst of them. But God is doing a work in and through you and to you. And with this, he comes for the sick. And then, in the midst of all of this, they look and they say, he's drinking and he's partying. Our, our disciples fast. John's disciples fast. Fasting's good. Jesus didn't negate fasting in the New Testament. He said there'll come a time when you need to fast. I'm, I, I'm not one who fasts. You can tell. 
But I do recall Isaiah 58, as clear as the nose is on my face, the Lord, when I was doing my devotion, said, it's time to fast. And it was a water-only fast. And, and, and I, I had 14 days in the midst of this. At the conclusion of that fast, shortly thereafter, within less than a week, less than four days, the shooting occurred. I had no idea the Lord was preparing me for that. That was a, he had called me to that. I, did, I wasn't even aware. And, and Isaiah 58, if you read it, everything that he said in that, he had spoken to me and it's coming to fruition and I was blessed by it. That was, that was a Holy Spirit ordained fast. It was the easiest I've ever done. It usually takes three days for the hunger pains to go away. It was less than 48 hours that, that's, that I was immediately where he wanted me to be. God likes fasting. But the Pharisees would fast in such a way that people would take notice of them. That they were somehow more spiritually superior. John's disciples would fast because they were calling the nation to repentance. This was an intense call. Repent. Turn. Make straight the way of the Lord. And in this fasting and making straight the way of the Lord, they would fast. But Jesus isn't fasting and his disciples aren't fasting and they're part of the party. And the Pharisees come and even John's disciples are looking and saying, your disciples aren't fasting. My disciples are leaving me to join yours because yours are having more fun. And Jesus answers them. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Well, that's the verse. That's the verse. It's Luke 5, 34. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? I have three daughters and two sons. I'm required to pay for the wedding for my daughters. And the daughters, the, the, the women that, the young lady that will marry my son or my other son, their parents will be responsible for the wedding. In the Armenian community, the um, son's family pays. And I told my daughters, you need to marry Armenian men, but they didn't listen. <laughs> and I, I remember the, the first wedding that I was responsible for, my daughter Molly. And Michelle and I were so broke. We were so poor, we couldn't pay attention. We were broke. And, and, and they get together, Molly and Michelle, and they start dreaming of this wedding because Micah had asked for her hand in marriage, and she was on cloud nine, and they were both all excited. And I'm listening to them talk about what they wanted in the wedding, and I'm thinking to myself, picnic tables, checkered tablecloths, barbecue, hamburgers, hot dogs, sheet cake from Costco. Boom, done deal. I can do this. And my wife said, sit down, be quiet. No more talking for you. <laughs> and they started dreaming and I'm writing this down. I'm thinking to myself, where will the money come? Where will the money come? Grieve me. And, and the wedding came and it was a lot of money and I got a cashectomy and I've done it twice now, Kelly. And it's just Molly and, you know, and thank God they married families into families that were generous because they offset the cost. And I just want to say thank you to them present right now. <laughs> but even still, we were wondering, and, and it was my godfather who's since gone to be with the Lord. He was 99 years old. He invited us to come uh, to San Diego to have lunch with him. A yeah, retired Navy admiral, his, his wife had passed away, my godmother, and he had remarried. And my godfather was tighter than a tambourine, um, he had alligator arms. The bill would come and he'd, oh, 
let me get that. Let me get that. Let me get that. And for 50 years of my life, my, you know, my dad would go, I've got that, Bob. I'll take that, Bob. I watched him pick up every tab. Here's a man with four kids, another guy who's got an admiral salary and no kids. And my dad's reaching to get it. And he was a depression-era child, so you don't waste money. So he invites us to come down. My mom had passed away. My dad had Alzheimer's. I'm going down to meet Uncle Bob. And really, Michelle and I, are, we, our bank account is empty. And I'm calculating, he invited us to eat at the Hotel Del Coronado. And I get there, and I sit down, and he orders a lobster quesadilla. And I'm calculating, thinking overdraft fees, if we could just, and I could maybe, and I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And I'm wondering if I have enough time to say I need to go to the restroom and then go donate an organ. But I... I <laughs> and... And we're enjoying it, and, and lo and behold, the bill comes, and my, my godfather miraculously is healed. It's like, yeah, pops out. His arm comes out, and I'm, I'm stunned, and my mother's in heaven. Ah! The angels are singing. He reaches, he grabs the bill. I mean, miracle. It's like the, the, the leper's healed. The, the man's lowered through the roof. It's, it's stunning. I'm watching, he's grabbing the bill. I'm rejoicing. Michelle's smiling, she's squeezing my leg. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. And not only does he pay the bill and put his card down, but he reaches in his pocket and he hands us a check. And he says, when your godmother and I, when you were born in 64, we put $5,000 aside. We've had it in an interest-bearing account. And this is a total, and I wanted to give it to you while I was still alive. I'm stunned. I open it. Michelle sees the amount. She says, that's exactly what we need for the wedding. <laughs> this is my money. You weren't around when this was put on the thing, and neither was Molly. It's my money. I was my money. Gone. I was thinking, I've got Natasha left, and I'm done with this cashectomy stuff. I mean, when you go to a wedding, you're expecting a meal, right? And when we did this, we had a meal. And if you weren't invited, it's just because I didn't have enough money. Blame it on Uncle Bob. But did they eat? And they ate and they ate and they drank and they ate and they ate and they drank and they danced and they partied and they were happy. And you know what? At the end of the night, I had no money and I had a great time. And my daughter was married and it was no longer my responsibility financially. Micah, good luck with that. Amen. But you look at the lavish display and people go to weddings and they're expecting this. And I know what I'm going to do for Natasha's wedding. I am going to go ultra spiritual. <laughs> we want this covenant to be blessed of the Lord. And I think on the save the date, this is what it will look like. We're going to call for a fast. <laughs> we are going to pray and fast for the couple. And when you come to the reception, there will be no dancing, no band. It costs money. And... And there will just simply be this on the table, and then we will spend their time praying. None of you will come. You'll not be interested. You'll be, what's going on? This is crazy. 
You can see the stupidity of that. And that's what the Lord is saying. The bridegroom. It's it's time for a party. There will be a time when you will mourn. There will be a time. And they call it the halcyon days. It's it's from a mythical understanding of a creature that would lay uh, its eggs in a nest that would be on the ocean. And if the winds were rough, the the nest would break apart. And so the gods would call for what they said halcyon days. a, A period of time where they wouldn't allow winds so that the nest could retain and these birds could mature and and hatch. And halcyon days from a mythical idea are days without trouble. And we experience those in the midst of a fallen world. We have days without trouble, and it's weddings. And we we love weddings. We love to celebrate. You put all the heartache aside, and yes, granted, loved ones are not there that have passed, but there still is something precious about it. And being together as a family and dancing and rejoicing, and a new family is being launched, and the generations continue long after we're gone, and we rejoice in that. Those are halcyon days. But there are times when the home is struck and winds of trial come and we're stretched and we hurt and we cry and we're sad. But then there's the halcyon days of joy. And as the Lord says in this parable to try to make them understand in regards to the bridegroom being with them, he says this parable, he says, no one puts a piece of new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also that piece is taken out of the new, does not match the old one. It's like having silk and, and wool. Uh, you have a, a pair of old blue jeans, and they've been washed, and they've already been pre-shrunk. But you get a hole in them, and you get a brand new pair of blue jeans, and you, uh, or some new denim, and you put that patch on the old pre-shrunk, and then you wash them, and the new shrinks, and then it separates from the stitching. And then it looks ugly because it's patched. He says, that's not how you want to do it. There's a a difference between the two materials. But he gives this parable that really drove the point home for me and what he was trying to communicate and what I believe he has for us today. He says, in the parable, no one puts... No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. And this is a wineskin. It's actually kind of a modified wineskin. It looks like a Boda bag, but in the olden days, they were literally the skin of animals. And when you see them, and you'll see them shortly in other pictures I have, the, there would be the four legs tied with the leather and, and the snout of the creature was the spout for the wine. It's creepy, you'll see it. And these were the wine bags. And they would, they would put the grape juice in, they'd put the sugars in, they'd put the, the yeast in, and the fermentation would begin. And the bags themselves, the, the skins would stretch as the fermentation would occur. And then there'd be a release valve, and you'll see that it was at the, towards the top of the head of the creature. And then it would come back down, and then they would siphon off the dredges, and then they would drink this wine. And this is a picture of a new wine skin. You see the release valve at the top and the spout at the bottom. But this is an old wineskin. It is um, leathered, worn out, stretched, tired. Kind of looks like me in the mirror. And here's a picture of the wineskin. You see the four legs and the head of the creature and the wine being suspended. Another picture of a wineskin. And the way that wine is made, interestingly enough, and children, don't pay attention because this can be done at home and we don't want you to do this. I learned how to make wine. They call it pruno. You can make it in prison in a, in a toilet. 
Um, I've never been to prison. I've never made the wine. I was just told how to do it because I hang around with sinners. (laughs) (laughs) But you basically just need Welch's grape juice. You need a measuring cup. You need a balloon, yeast, sugar, and a funnel. That's all you need. You can make it at home. And and the the balloon goes over the top of the Welch's uh, bottle and when the fermentation occurs, it'll start to stretch, kind of like this, the animal skin. Well, they didn't have rubber back then, so it'll stretch. And then once it starts to, to, to die, when the fermentation, when the yeast begins to die and the, the wine is established and the byproduct is this, this uh, wine, this alcohol, then you know because the balloon collapses. And, and here's a picture of, of the balloon itself rising and then collapsing. And, and at the end, you have wine. You can make it at home not very good. You won't like it, but it is very interesting if you wanted to know how to make that. Why would the Lord go to great lengths to describe new wineskins, old wineskins? If you have a wineskin that is old and it's already been stretched and then you put new wine into it, it will not have the capacity to stretch because it's already dried out. And in addition, as you see in Psalm 40, they would put the wineskins by the fireplace to heat up and create fermentation. The smoke, it would cause the leather of the skin to harden and crack and become hard, yeah. And, and the stretching would no longer be able, and so when the fermentation would occur and the gas would increase, the old wineskin would burst, and then you'd have leaking. You need to get a new wineskin for new wine. But you don't want to abandon the old wine. And the old wine is in the old wineskins, and people actually prefer the older wine. If anyone's had wine, you want the stuff that's aged and aged properly, right? Oh, we don't have any drinkers here. (laughs) Excuse me. Any wine connoisseur understands that there's certain, you know, aged properties that just make it that bouquet and the uniqueness of the wine. It is an amazing art. Even Jesus said at the very first miracle, the wedding at Cana, they they came to him and they said, you know, most people serve the good wine first and then the bad wine second after everyone's drunk, but you're serving the best wine now. And he turned the water into wine. But really, the idea is you serve the old stuff first because it's valuable, it tastes better, and then when everyone gets a little bit of a buzz or inebriation, then you bring out the cheap stuff and they don't know the difference. And, And you're Boone's Farm, bring it out. Still, people don't know what that is. This is a very <laughs> humble. Yeah. How does your pastor know these things? <laughs> so we see this old wine, and as the Lord says in this parable, he says, the old is better. The old is better. But you still need new wine, and you need new wineskins. You just can't put the new wine in the old wineskins. What is he saying? This idea of filling a container, filling a vessel, filling, filling, filling. It brought me to Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be Filled with the Spirit. Vessels, vessels of righteousness, filled with the Spirit of God. We're new creatures in Christ. The old is past, the new has come. This skin is now filled with the Spirit of God. This, this vessel of skin is filled with the Spirit of God. This new wine, 
Jesus, interestingly enough, in our studies earlier, we remember in Luke when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He said, when the people were baptized, verse 21, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. This picture of being filled, this, this picture of a vessel being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's this idea, of the, the, the equation is, is wine, Holy Spirit, do not be drunk with wine, but of the Holy Spirit. One and the same in this picture that we're filled, we're vessels of righteousness, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as this occurs in this baptism, the heavens open up, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done a miracle yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't done anything, but the, whole, the, the Father was pleased and the Holy Spirit filled him. Why? Because it was declared, lo, it is written to me in the volume of the book, and this is in Hebrews 10, we'll get to it. Lo, it is written in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. The Spirit found residence in the skin of the Savior because he was yielded to do the will of the Father. Lord, fill me. Fill me. Be careful what you ask for. Fill me. The wine of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, envelops the skin of this vessel. You know what happens? You begin to get stretched. You begin to get stretched. You're brought into fires, trials, smoke-filled room, dark rooms. You're hung. You're suspended. You're put on hold. You begin to expand. You go places where you don't want to go to meet with people you don't want to be with, and you're stretched. The scripture says of the Lord after this filling In chapter 4, we studied it. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this vessel being filled with the Spirit of God, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. To do what? To be tempted. After 40 days of fasting, being on the brink of death, you want to talk about being stretched. He was stretched. That vessel was stretched. The fires of trial and temptation and the struggles of difficulty and being spit upon and mocked and ridiculed. Being alienated. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm being hung and suspended in darkness and stretched. Hebrews 10, we believe it was the Apostle Paul who wrote Hebrews, but we don't know for certain, but the author writes He says, therefore, when he came into the world, meaning Jesus, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. To the father, the son says, I am here to do your will. And the Holy Spirit fills him. You see, the law was the sacrifice pertaining to the ultimate sacrifice. It would be the Lord Jesus, that he would die upon the cross, that we would be justified just as if we'd never sinned. He's going to take care of our sin, past, present, future, and we'll be a new creature in Christ. But what part does the law have? We've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why must we follow the law? We're not under the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
Yes, but the old wine is better. The old wine, the law. The old wine of a, law, of a life governed by the law of God. Not by a have to, but by a get to. Not by obligation, but by adoration. The vessel is filled with the spirit of God, moved by the law of God to operate in the context of the will of God. And thus you're brought into places where there's smoke and fire and you're stretched. And you're suspended in darkness. And life and difficulty hit you and that skin is stretched. But that wine is preferred. The culture appreciates that effort, that artisanry. They're touched by it. It brings them joy. It brings them pleasure. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who who approach it perfect. These animals weren't cutting it. Jesus cut it. When he died, that covered all the sin. That covered all the sin. Jesus took away our sin. He forgave our sins, past, present, and future, and we became a new creature, a new skin, filled with the Spirit of God to be stretched, stretched by the law of God, observing the law not out of obligation but out of adoration for the sake of others. We become servants. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you're a servant of all. A servant speaks when he's spoken to. A servant offers his opinion when he's asked. A servant has no rights. You're rejected. You're despised. You're hung out. You're suspended in darkness. You go through fires of trial and difficulty. And you're stretched. And what does it produce? A preferable wine. Something that the world longs for. Previously saying sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin. This is Hebrews 10. You did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. But Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. You see, no longer do we observe the law. The law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. No one can fulfill the law. We've all failed. Everyone's broken the law. Everyone's broken the law. If you haven't, you're lying right now. You broke the law. What does Christ do? He gives you new skin. And a new spirit. And he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And then he puts you into the world to take this law, this preferred old wine, to bless the world. Set it apart, sanctified, set apart for the use of others. The world is drawn to this by the way you live, observing the law not of obligation but out of adoration. Not a have to but a get to. This is the covenant that I will make with them. Hebrews 10 verse 16. This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds and I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. I have cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. You're a new creature in Christ. You have new skin. Let's put in new wine. And now it's time to be stretched. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. 
And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, the ecclesia, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another And so much the more as you see the day approaching, the idea is serve one another in the assembly. You see, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You are going to be this new skin. I will dwell in you. And through you, and I will stretch you, that the law will be fermented in such a way that it will be good, and people will be drawn to me. You see, in Acts, Paul declared, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. This is not the church. You are the assembly. And your new skin with new wine. And you are placed into the world to be stretched and to be fired and smoked and hung in darkness. And that skin will stretch and that wine will be better and the people will be drawn. The thing that jumped out at me was David. He wrote in Psalm 40, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. A moral knowledge. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. You have stretched me. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. The idea is when you'd have a servant who would serve in your household, he'd be an indentured servant, and he would realize what a beneficent master you are, that you care for him and you bless him. And he says, my service is up, but I want to remain in your household as your servant because to serve you is a joy. And he would take his earlobe and put it on the doorpost, and they would open it with an awl, like a piercing, and they'd put a ring denoting that he is my master and I am to serve him for life. David says to the Lord, you've opened my ear. I am your servant for life. I've come to do thy will, O God. What is thy will? To obey my commandments. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. And then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your laws within my heart. And I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly, ecclesia. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. You see, leaven is yeast. And the same leaven you put in the lump is what causes it to rise to the glory of God. Matthew 13, a parable. The same yeast is put into wine to cause it to stretch the skin. To ferment it in such a way that it is a preferred wine Because the way you live and the law you obey is the one that everybody wants because they see the benefit to society. 
You want to put new wine in the old wineskins. You want the, the fervency of the church and the grace of God without the law of God. We could just pray this kingdom in. We don't have to do anything in, in the civic arena. We don't have to do anything in the workplace. We can just pray. Really? Is that how you raise your kids? They're going to get food. I don't have to make it. We're just going to pray that it arrives. No, 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 no. You don't put that new wine in the oil. Yes, Christ is everything. But we're a new creature in Christ. We're new skin with his spirit. And then we're placed into the world where we're stretched and we're hung in darkness. And as we're stretched, that wine becomes preferred. You see, that's the ecclesia, the fermentation that is infused in the culture and you cause it to rise to the glory of the Lord. You cause people to be drawn to it. When I saw this, I was so moved. And when I saw Psalm 40 written by King David himself who understood the mercy and grace of God, but he understood how to cause a kingdom to rise to his glory and to touch the world. We operate in such a context as to love the world and you place yourself in difficult situations where you will be stretched and you'll be standing next to people that you wouldn't normally associate with but God has called you and you go in there and you love you have no no right in the kingdom of God to hold an ideology at the expense of someone else's dignity they've been created in the image of God what do you see do you see a tax collector or a sinner? Or do you see a man or a woman loved by God? It's on us to be stretched. We're the new wine and the new wineskins. Let's let it mature. Let us be stretched. And it comes with trials and difficulties. There will be halcyon days. We will be with the bridegroom. We can celebrate. But our life is to be servants. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, serve, stretch, and watch the world be touched by you.